0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Perkins Platform. Uh, This is a monthly solutions oriented talk radio show. Uh, Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This past week, uh, we're in day four uh, of the week, uh, had a series on how educators, leaders, and constituents are dealing with uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, today is no different in this uh, special series. Today, we have uh, two very special guests with us um, who are experts in the area of leadership for special needs populations in education. And so, today's show focuses on um, how educators are planning and implementing programs for special needs populations during this COVID-19 pandemic uh, crisis. Um, I uh, thought this would be an excellent topic for our show because I think, you know, it goes without saying that, um, and we've talked about this earlier in the week that uh, educators had very little time to gather their things and, and do much planning at all for, what would be a uh, a virtual online learning uh, expectation? And that said, there have been there is there's a range of needs uh, that is required uh, to be met um, uh, during the course of a school day, and that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that being online is the best way to meet a lot of our students' needs. And so my two guests here, I have uh, Felicia, who's joining us from Washington, D.C., and Akua, who's ja- uh, joining us from um, New Orleans. Uh, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thanks for having yeah. us.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having
1: and, us. And I, uh, I'm glad to that you've agreed to come on and talk to us and, and give us an idea. I guess what I'd like to do is start with just uh, and Either of you can jump right in. I'd like to hear a little bit from you about um, exactly when, when this happened and, and students and teachers and leaders were told, go home and we're going to implement this online. What were your initial thoughts, given that your responsibility, uh, both of you, to, uh, to look after the needs of special needs populations? What were your thoughts when you heard this? So I
3: guess I can start. I think um, I, my uh, my immediate thought was definitely related to um, how it is that this is going to happen in a, in a very unique situation, um, given that I work in a, in a juvenile detention center. Um, I thought about how it is that we're going to really differentiate and, and give the students what it is that they need. Um, it was a very heavy time, just um, trying to gather everything and get everything together and then try to come up with another daily schedule that was outside of what we had initially planned for um, but the special the students with special needs um, were definitely on my mind and specifically some who have some different um, disabilities that are that are even more challenging than maybe um, some other ones may be so we definitely thought a lot about what we could do from the work perspective but I did not initially give as much thought to what we do for direct instruction, but now that we've had this week to kind of see how the instruction is going, I think we've come up with a pretty um, solid plan.
1: Mm-hmm. Before we talk about the um, the plans, uh, Akua, why don't you tell us what what happened with you? What were you thinking when when you heard the news?
2: Yes, yeah, so since um, I work with. Um, teachers and leaders all across the city in New Orleans. The first thing I thought was how with all of the charter schools, how are we going to provide special education services in in a city where we are decentralized? And so it's just thinking about um, how do we coordinate with NOLA public schools and with the charters to make sure that everybody is on the same page around um, what legal um, things that they need to do so the very first thing i we did as an organization was reach out to fellows and to um, make sure that they had everything that they need and to help them with their distance learning plans and one thing that we just noticed was that the schools who were already implementing udl strategies it was an easier transition for them to go to distance learning and schools who had not were really struggling. So just to jump right in and try to help them, um, coordinate with parents and families, um, so that parents won't feel stressed and overwhelmed, especially with students with low incidents here in the city. So, you know, that was just the first thing that, um, you know, we did.
1: Sure. Well, I'm going to tell you, um, when When I thought about this, certainly you know day two or three uh, because i i I do consider a lot what's happening in education, and then this this uh crisis occurred uh but about day two or three, I started thinking about quite honestly um how how is it even possible to meet the needs of probably more than half of the students that might have IEPs or otherwise, because I know um, now I, I'm not a teacher, and not a school leader, but I've, I've but I, worked I, a lot with, with, with teachers and, 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 stu- and school leaders. And uh, when I've gone into classrooms where there are some special ed students, um, I've, I've been told that, well here's one student and and in the same classroom, this student has a full time aide and then here's another student who's pulled out for x or y, and yet a third student and sometimes in the same classroom there there's this uh dynamic um, because we we are um, providing the best educational um, experience that we can with the in the least restrictive restrictive environment then i thought about well wait if i'm if i'm a teacher um and now suddenly i went from having aids in the classroom with certain students to in fr- in a webinar type format where i have suddenly on my screen i have twenty let's just say best case scenario I have twenty two students in front of me in some schools, the classrooms are much larger than that, but let's just say twenty students uh, in front of me, and just one of them happens to be a special needs student. Um, how do you manage that uh, in, and what are you what are you telling your teachers what how are you providing for uh, the instruction of students in that environment with one teacher or or or, so I'll stop there so just it just it boggles my mind and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that probably are asking the same question that how are you meeting their needs
2: so um, I know many, many schools took one week to recoup and gather themselves to figure out their distance learning plan and so this week is like the first week of implementation here in New Orleans, but using Zoom has helped a lot because, you know, you can do breakout rooms in Zoom. And so you have your regular classroom with your teachers, and it's one-to-one tech. And so using Google Classroom, you already have the assignments that are um, already modified or the accommodations provided for the student. And if you – so with, t- with special education teachers – are doing and they're saying that they are having more success doing this is that they are breaking their when they see their students struggling they will move the student into a breakout room provide some one on one instruction or three to one to help them and then move them back into the regular classroom and another thing that you know small group pull out has just been over virtual learning and a lot of their intervention programs or what they were working with them on does have a blended piece, and so you can have your instruction, and the student can do the blended piece on their own if they're able, and then the teacher can track that data. And most of the schools here have been providing text to um, students who – who did not have a computer or uh, mobile hotspots or connecting them with our local cable company who provided free internet access for a month during this time for low-income families. So that has been helpful for students with high incidence. For students with low incidence, it's just like what I suggested to them was to create a, a document that you can have with parents So they can understand like exactly what services they were going to be provided. Um, Like speech um, is online. Telehealth medicine here has um, stepped up in providing um, mental health services online, you know, OT and PT like recording videos or working with the parents during that time. Is this, has just really helped a lot. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But you know they are able to provide some type of consistency and services to kids, and mm-hmm. so um that's what we've been trying to help schools do
1: mhm okay all right that's that's uh, sounds really interesting. I'm gonna circle back to you i i uh, felicia I know you are in a a juvenile um center. Um, where yeah. where students um, are also uh, taking courses and and engaging, uh, tell us about your that environment. What's being done in 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 especially there, but also uh, just in general in that kind of environment? Are students being uh, uh, being serviced?
3: Right. Um, I think um, a lot of um, what was um, just said was similar to what we've been doing. Unfortunately, uh, being in a juvenile detention center, we do not have, um, even though we're generally a one-to-one setting, um, we don't have the technology for the students in that way just for safety and security purposes. There are some things that they just can't access without um, school staff being there. Um, And I think it's really important to note that to your point this happened very quickly um this is also our first week of doing it last week we took the week to kind of prepare and have some webinars and some trainings on how to use zoom and and we're transitioning to using zoom and google classroom next week um just since from what we've seen for the last few days um is that it's not going to be perfect and it will you can't replace um what is happening on a daily basis in a regular, comprehensive functioning school with virtual learning. It's just not Mm -hmm. not possible. Um, It's definitely not possible in a juvenile detention center. So what we did was all of the students have, you know, essentially work packets, and the teachers have times in which they teach throughout the day so that the students are getting direct instruction from their teachers um, through Zoom and the teachers are able to talk to them, and students are able to talk back to the teachers, and they're working on things that are um, skill-based without introducing a lot of new subjects because um, right now that's really difficult to do. What Mm -hmm. we're looking to do next is we're looking to establish office hours for our special education teachers and our special education teachers function as case managers as well they will have time where they'll just be working with small groups of students um, that are pulled out of the regular classroom. Generally, we run a full inclusion model, so it's, it's a lot easier to do in person, but without it being in person, they are going to have to be pulled out. Um, so we're setting up those office hours, and we're also providing training to our facility staff if they have any questions or, or, or concerns about what they can do about specific student behaviors or, you know, if this happens, then what do I do, you know, without – they're not teachers. So that's kind of what we have to do. I think we have to do the same thing. Um, for our community schools, our schools in the community is so setting those expectations for parents as well, saying, "Hey, um, you know, we know that this is something that kind of happens when so and so struggles with this. This is what we do here. Here's what you can try." Um, mm-hmm. So, really setting up those office hours or like for phone calls, for Zoom, um, face-to-face conversations of how to provide that support, but it's never going to be perfect. Um, sure, I think sure. from an IT perspective. Um, we've had a couple of our first couple of virtual IEP meetings um, through conference call and Zoom, and that was definitely interesting. Um, but I think the important thing for people to remember is you have to make an effort to meet um, the needs that the students have. Um, and, and, and that's what I think parents and families and, and schools want, like to see that. Special education students are not kind of put on the back burner, like you have to think about them, even when it comes to something as unprecedented as this. Um, mm-hmm. But those virtual meetings and then being prepared to discuss, you know, um, are these things that can be implemented? And if they can't be implemented, what what can be implemented? And can they sure. take the place temporarily? Um, while we're dealing with this to make sure that the student gets everything that they need.
1: Sure. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, To those of you who may have just joined us, we have a special show today about the education of special needs populations during this COVID-19 pandemic. We have two experts around the table today, so to speak, the virtual table, um, who are sharing with us uh, the efforts, um, commendable efforts that are being made to meet the needs of uh, of special needs students um, in in their locations. And I'm sure a lot of this is happening all over the country. Uh, for those of you who may have questions or comments, feel free to dial in at 657-383-1481. Again, 657-383-1481 going to try to take some calls today and we do have um one caller uh that is already waiting um and so this caller is from 475 area code caller are you there yes i am here uh, that
0: is yes uh waiting.
1: please feel free to ask your question or make your comment 475 area code caller are you there After- yes am
2: i on the radio
3: can you um yes
1: you are yes we can hear you you'll need to turn down the radio it's a, there's a delay so you'll need to turn down uh the radio on your end uh, but go ahead proceed with your uh your question or comment
0: um
3: i have a comment to make i was listening to the program at the beginning and uh the same way that the state departments and the governor and those people have made exceptions they need to make an exception For the special needs students. So, in the event that the parent or people at home are not available, that someone can contact them, the teacher assistant that has been working with the young person can contact that person and make sure that the lessons are implemented the way that they should be implemented. And my name is Eleanor Boyd, and I'm in Connecticut.
1: Okay, thank you very much. Um, So, uh, panelists, uh, any response to that?
2: Um, I know that um, many schools here, I can speak to what's happening in New Orleans, are definitely calling parents and finding out, like, is there somebody there to assist at what time, if they have other children that they have to attend to, and maybe not at that particular time they're recording lessons for them. And just like um, you're saying, we're putting putting forth a good faith um, effort to ensuring that, you know, services and education is being continued. And so I think the thing is just, like, making sure that you have an open line of communication with parents or or guardian who is at home with the student and understanding, like, exactly what they're going to be receiving, what time um, they're going to receive that. Because, you know, especially for younger kids, it's the adult at home that's going to help them stay on schedule and making sure that they're logging into the different um e-learning platforms that are out there to to speak with their teachers at certain times. But all states have been given, you know, flexibility guidance during this time. And that's from, from the U.S. DOE for services with special
1: needs kids. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, you know,
3: for what's going on in D.C. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, go right ahead. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. I think the same for what's happening in D.C. is that, um, it's definitely the expectation of teachers to reach out to parents and families as much as possible. In my particular setting, that's not necessarily the case, but I can speak to what's going on in our community schools, and um, that's definitely a plan to reach out to parents and help them. And I think the, the really important thing is just, to your point, flexibility um, and, and grace, right, like giving, making sure that parents and families understand that, we know that you're not trained to do this, right? We're not expecting mm-hmm. it to be perfect, but here are some things that you can do that will help you get through this time and here, are, here's how we can support you. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it's definitely a time to be flexible and to keep all of those variables in mind that parents and families are struggling uh, with a lot of things right now um, and just making sure that parents are taking care of themselves, asking how they're sure. Going. So when teachers sure. are calling to, to do the lesson, just checking in with the young person as well as checking in with the parents and saying, Hey, what can I do? Um, you know, do you just need to vent and talk? And I know that that's outside of the scope of our work, but right now the scope of our work has shifted quite a bit, just like theirs has. So it's really important just to be flexible and provide great and, and, and allow for some grace right now.
1: Well, thank you for that. That that's certainly good advice. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear that um, at least um, among those of you who are are responsible for uh, overseeing a large number of, of students and the care uh, through their teachers by reassuring the teachers to do the best job they can. And uh, because I know I've talked to quite a few teachers who are feeling stressed um, because in some cases uh teachers feel that they need to do uh the same thing that they're doing in their classrooms i think we have to understand that we are these are difficult circumstances um it was unanticipated we did not have an opportunity to prepare and so in a lot of ways we are changing the wheel to the tire while we're driving right and and so there are there's only so much you can do, and I think your advice for grace and and flexibility is is well um, advised. Um, I, I thought about also Akua. One of the things you talked about that I'm really impressed by, and I know by no means is it um, perfect, but it just goes really far with me to hear you say that people are still making the effort. I can't even imagine. Uh, the kinds of coordination that's required to do this. But I know when when students that are in need of speech therapy and occupational therapy and all kinds of other uh, work, in addition to the academic portion of the school day, uh, that, that that would require, just on the ground, requires a great deal of coordination, uh, not to mention uh, if they are getting this kind of, Uh, uh, help and service in the school. So it's really encouraging to hear that at least the effort is being made to keep those up. Uh, One of the questions I had also though is because, you know, one day we're going to go back and I'm, I am, I, I told a group of my students yesterday, I am, um, irrationally um, optimistic uh, and hopeful about where we're going to go from here. Uh, but one day, I believe that we're going to be back in our classrooms, back in our schools. And I wonder about the, this time period. How, is, how will it impact us? Um, and, and specifically, I'm wondering, uh, with our focus today on special needs populations, while there's a, there's a continuum and certainly a range within that uh, group, um, I just want to hear from you, how do you think um, we will, will kind of respond and rebound to what has happened? And we still don't know how long we're going to be out. But given where we are right now, what do you, what are your projections? Any fears or concerns you have um, about what what happens after this?
2: Um, the, the only um, I don't think things will ever like go back to the same. I think that we definitely need to think about like how we're educating kids. Because, like I said before, the schools who are still with the traditional pencil and paper had a harder time uh, tr- um, going over into virtual learning. And so we really do think we, we need to think about how we are educating students and implementing technology, especially like students with low incidence around, you know, low tech and high tech communication devices and, and how they interact and, and engage in academic tasks in school. But I do think one of my fears is like the longer that we are out and so, you know, the flexibility thing is that, you know, we, they we already tried to roll back IDEA in that first um, Senate bill, but it didn't make it. It's just to make sure that our IDEA is be, is, is, is protected and that we're mm-hmm. just not like saying, yes, it's flexible. And you know what, can it just mm-hmm. remain flexible? And that you know our kids' rights are not rolled back from this, mm-hmm.
0: um
2: you did we definitely are in unprecedented times, and we definitely like you say, we have to have grace, and parents are so understanding um about what's going on and just being able to express like you know how nervous they are about this time. But what I do not want is when we go back and um we're we're still looking at things being flexible because I don't want their rights to get rolled back. And just also I'm worried about the regression of some kids. Like, this is not like it is in school, especially students with um, severe um, disabilities. And, you know, when you're in a a self-contained classroom and you have auto supports and services that cannot happen virtually is, you know, the level of regression that's going to happen. Happen with some of our students and how, what plans are we thinking about now to put in place to ensure that, you know, we can try to catch them up.
1: Thank you. Thank you for that. And and Felicia, what about uh, where you are? What what are you, what are any of your concerns and, and thoughts? Right. I
3: think that um, this has definitely been one of those things where, You know, we now know the importance of um, using technology in all settings, and in my setting it's very difficult, but what this has brought up is the the advocacy piece for advocating for young people who are incarcerated to have access to technology, and for us as educators to be able to teach them how to use technology appropriately. Um, I think that everything that happens is kind of an opportunity, and I think that this is an opportunity for us to see you know, one, how we respond to adversity, um, how our young people respond to adversity, um, and how we prepare them for whatever happens next. I've seen a lot of things where, you know, this group of young people, they were definitely coming up during a lot of things, and this is this is one of those things that we don't know if it could happen again, but now we know how to prepare for it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's critically important. I think my concerns are similar um, to... Um, what 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 we just shared is that I definitely worry about the regression of some of my some of my um, young people. I worry about the regression of all young people, and I definitely worry about um, how people come out of this unscathed, if you will. Right? Like, are mm-hmm. parents want to be more understanding and more and and more concerned with what's going on? Are schools going to be communicating better with parents? Because at any given moment, we may have to rely on each other in a way that we haven't before. Um, So it's really important to continue to establish those relationships, and the importance of building those relationships is critical. Um, I worry about, um, you know, not only um, for students with disabilities, but uh, for all of our potential graduates, right? Like I worry that, you know, yes, that flexibility is there, but are we really, are they prepared to leave us in June to go to college if they haven't been in school for X amount of time um, I worry about about what the future holds for them by missing this critical time of instruction um, mm-hmm. and I definitely worry about our vulnerable students with disabilities who um, you know may not have the best home life and may not have a parent who's going to participate in whatever it is that we're able to set up for them I worry about their mental health and their and their ability to deal with what's going on I feel like you know, I'm concerned about the level of potential PTSD that comes out of being home for some young people. Sure, um, sure. In long periods of time. So, I think I, I have several concerns. I think we all do, but I definitely see this as an opportunity to grow. My teachers have stretched and grown and learned and things very quickly, and and our youth have responded as well. But this is definitely saying we need to do more to be prepared for something like this happening.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. We have time for one. Uh, One more caller. Uh, um, We have a caller uh, at 713 area code. Caller, are you there?
0: Yes, I'm here.
1: Yes. So please, uh, with your comment or question.
0: Hi, my name is Lanny. I'm calling you guys from Houston, Texas. I just wanted to add a comment in um, regarding your last question. And I think that this is, this could be classified as a great awakening. I think I agree with what others have shared, but I say that that it's a great awakening in the sense that this this incident has exposed the huge discrepancy that we have in, in, in our education system where we 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 have technology advances, we have online education but we've primarily centered it around kids that are more advanced or we've consider it or limit it to supplemental resources. Well, we we do have homebound services that traditionally were face-to-face special education teachers being uh, sent out to the specific homes of kids, but uh, we had yet to transcend that into the possibility of that being extended online. So I think we now have realized that our special need kids we're not being extended online services to the best of our abilities. And it's an awakening. Um, In some regards, I think it's embarrassing. But I think, um, nonetheless, as educators, what we will will probably do is, you know, vocalize seatbelts and put on our big pants and just kind of move forward with what do we need to do to ensure that we are not exposed in this way ever again. So, be, I like to say it's a great awakening
1: from you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Uh, any response to our caller? No? Nope? Okay. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry.
3: No, I was just saying I think that, that he made some very good points about um, the importance of leveraging technology to all students and leveraging how to use that technology um you know, it's almost like this is going to be how we need to practice doing these things, right? So if we, if anything like this happens again, what will we do? I think that as educators we will definitely, you know, step up. Um, but this also exposes a lot of things from top down that need to change as well. But he did make some good points about um, it not transcending to uh, youth with disabilities and providing those services virtually.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Well, I just want to take um, this last moment. We ran over just a little bit, but I I want to thank both of you for being with us. Very insightful, uh, painting a picture uh, for us. And I'm sure all of the educators we have, uh, teachers and leaders and school board members and uh, community leaders, all that listen in, I'm sure you gave them a lot to think about. I know for me, uh, this was very important to me for us to get some sense of what's happening. I know there are a lot of people out there concerned about what happens. Um, Akua, to your point, um, I think we need to be vigilant in how we pay attention going forward to uh, what happens from a policy and legal perspective. um, Because I think you're right that sometimes people exploit these opportunities to take away gains that have been made uh, in certain areas. And so we want to be careful not to let that happen. So thank you both of you for being with us today. And so um, tomorrow, I just want to let you know, we have a final in this uh, particular series this week, every day, Uh, we have been um, talking about COVID-19 pandemic and different ways in which Uh, It has impacted the education community. Tomorrow, we're going to talk with uh, some school and district level leaders uh, to talk about what it took for them to be prepared. Uh, I've been in leadership roles for years, and I know how sometimes people say, just fix it, make it happen. And so we're going to get a chance to hear kind of from a bird's eye view, the, the leaders that are at the building level and at the district level to tell us a little bit about what they encountered. Um, And so I ask you to join us again uh, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, And as usual, we thank you for tuning in and to all the listeners out there. Go well, stay well.